Morning. Uh, my name is David Soren. I'm the lead pastor here at Renovation Church. Uh, so glad you're here this morning. You know, I love uh, just studying the Bible. Uh, I sat down this week to just look at our passage where we are in the book of Luke, and I read it through the first time. Has this ever happened to you when you read? And I thought, huh? Like, what am I going to even say on this one? And then I read it again, and I read it again, and again, and I started to study and study, and I got so into it that the more that I studied, I thought, this passage is rich. And it's deep. In fact, there's so much in it. We were supposed to do eight verses today. We're only doing four just because there's so much in there. And I think that's just a testament to the beauty of God's word. That sometimes you read something, you go, huh? But when you really dive in, there's just a lot there. Uh, there was The other four verses we're going to do, for those of you that have house groups uh, this week, you'll get a chance to look at them uh, in groups. So uh, we are in uh, Luke 22. Everybody grab a Bible, whether you bring one on your own or they're under the chair in front of you. We want everybody just looking at God's word. Uh, We're on page 720 if you grab a Bible from the chairs. We are continuing to teach kind of verse by verse through the book of Luke in the Bible, one of four books about Jesus's life. We are in chapter 22. It's a Thursday night. It's the night before Jesus is crucified. We covered how they had the Last Supper at this meal in the upper room. And now conversation is sort of continuing after the meal. So uh, we are Luke chapter 22, again, page 720. And we left off at verse 31. So you want to find that small number 31. And that's where we're going to be. Okay, Jesus is talking. Here's what it says. He says, Simon. Now, Simon is actually a, a name for Peter, and I'm just going to call him Peter today because that's how most people know him. You can call him Simon Peter, but we'll kind of address him as Peter, even though this particular conversation, uh, Jesus calls him Simon. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. But he replied, Lord, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the rooster crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Okay, keep that open. Keep it on your lap because we're going to go back and forth and look in it a lot this morning. Uh, This is what we do here. We study God's word. I don't just stand up here and tell some uh, funny stories and give you life hacks and then pop a Bible verse on at the end. We, We too, we want the Bible to be relevant to your life. We want to make sense to your life, but we want you to be in it and study it and love it and ultimately uh, even obey it. And we do that even if we're, going, if we're going verse by verse through a book, or even if we're just looking at a random passage in the Bible, we still want to walk through it and help it make sense. All right. If you're not as familiar with the story of Peter, sorry, I'm going to have to spoil a couple things so this makes sense. But three weeks from now, as we progress in Luke 22, what we're going to see is Jesus's words come true. So Jesus is arrested. He goes through a number of false trials, six of them, in fact, if you study it. And at one of the false trials, Peter is out in the courtyard, and people keep coming up to him. They're like, uh, I'm pretty sure I saw you with Jesus. You're going to sound like you're like from Galilee. And, and each time, he's like, I don't even know the man. And he denies Jesus. And after the third time, just as Jesus said what would happen, the rooster crows. Now, Peter, eventually, I'm going to spoil some more. Eventually, after Jesus resurrects, Jesus talks to Peter, and he forgives him. And he restores him. And Peter eventually becomes one of the dynamic leaders of the early Christian movement. So understanding that is really important to what we're going to study today. Okay, so let's start walking through this. Look again at verse 31. He says, Simon, that's Peter, Simon, Satan has asked to sift all of you as wheat. 
Now, whenever we do a passage on Satan, which is the devil, or demons, or you come to anything like that in the Gospels, I always like to pause just for a moment, because in a room this size, uh, inevitably, there are a few people in this room, or maybe a number of people in this room, that when you read that, the first question in your head is like, is that even real? Is, I mean, is that kind of like back in the day, you know, the devil or demons was kind of their answer for like how they explain illnesses and other things? And here's how I answer that question. If you look closely at the scriptures, you see that Jesus is speaking of them as it's 100% real. So we trust Jesus in that. And then we can also use logic. So I tell people that, okay, if you're an atheist, I understand why you wouldn't believe in the devil. But... If you do believe, and the vast, vast majority of people in the world do believe this, if you do believe that it is logical that there is indeed a spiritual being called God, and he has spiritual beings called angels, if you already believe that, it's no less logical to believe that evil beings, spiritual beings, also exist. Does that make sense? In fact, I would say it's even less logical for you to say, well, I believe that there are good spiritual beings, but no evil ones. And so we're just sort of following the logic here and also trusting the word of God. So Satan, who is the leader and the worst of the fallen angels, has asked to come at Peter. And he's not asking just to tempt him. He's not asking just to lightly bother him. He says, I I want to sift him, and really all the disciples, if you look at the text, to sift them as wheat. Now, I'm guessing that you don't sift wheat a lot. Uh, Maybe you do. I don't want to presume. Uh, But let's just contextually go back in time. What What does that even look like? So wheat has chaff around it, right? That's the inedible part. And so what you had to do is you think of like a a sieve. So it'd be like a a, a large circular sieve, you know, with kind of mesh and wiring on it. You put all the stuff on there and you just sort of, you know, vigorously shake. And what would happen is eventually the chaff, anything else that's on there separates from the wheat and you have only the edible part left. And so Satan is asking to toss Peter up and down brutally on the sieve. And why does he want to do that? This is very important. It's actually answered in verse 32. So I hope you got it in front of you still. Jesus says that he's praying for Peter. And what is he praying for? Because this is going to answer the question of what the devil wants to do. He prays that your faith may not fail. See, that is the devil's objective. It's to toss this believer to and fro, up and down, so that the believer would let go. They would separate from their faith. Their faith being the part of them that trusts God. You know, the word faith means not just to believe, but to act on the belief that you have. That's faith. Christians, I would say to you, this passage, it is so rich. It is, this is so theologically even important. The devil's main objective His primary objective is not to make you sick. It's not to make you miserable. It's not to make you depressed. It's not simply to worsen your circumstances. Now, he may do all those things, but we are to remember that his primary objective is to make your faith fail. And it's so critical that you recognize this scheme. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 2.11, Uh, Chapter 2, verse 11, Paul says that we are to be aware, as Christians, we are to be aware of the devil's schemes, how he works. And so it's essential that you learn the scheme so that when your life gets hard, and it will, so that when your life gets hard, you're not going, oh, this is so, this life has just been so crazy. 
And I'm so frustrated with you, God, and I don't know why you would let this into my life, God. In fact, I'm not even sure I can even believe you're a good God. I'm not even sure I can believe that you as a Christian, that you would catch yourself and go, well, no, nope, I know that trick. He's trying to jostle me so that I separate from my faith. So if you can be aware of that scheme, that'll be a blessing to you when the jostling comes. Does that make sense? That's why we study. Okay, so we see that the devil wants your faith to fail, but there's a very, very interesting thing that we're learning about how Satan operates, and it's in this text, and it's in a number of other places in the scripture. Look at verse 31. Jesus says that Satan has, what's that next word? Asked to sift you all as wheat. He has to get permission from God first. Now, this is very similar to uh, what we see in the book of Job in the Old Testament, or as a new Christian, I call it the book of Job. Uh, I don't know if you said that before. Uh, Job was an incredibly uh, up, up, upright and a righteous man. Uh, God tells that to Satan even, but then watch what happens. I'm going to read from the book of Job in the Old Testament. We'll just throw it on the screen for you. Job chapter 1 says, does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied, so they're having a conversation here. Have you not put a hedge around him? By the way, you ever been in like a prayer meeting and someone's like, put a hedge around our family? That's where this comes from. Okay. And his household and everything he has, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now, stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well then, everything he has is in your power, but on the man himself... Do not lay a finger. And if you keep reading in the book of Job, which chapters one and two, if you never read them, are fascinating, Satan just wreaks havoc on Job's life. And if you're wondering why, why would God, why would, we're going to talk about that this morning, but another thing you could do, I would love giving you places to read in the Bible, because I just want you in the Bible every day. A place you could read this week is go to Job 38, if you want to write that down. And that's where God starts answering Job. So Job and his friends spend about 36 chapters discussing like why this happened. And then in 38, the Lord answers. And they're kind of like, oh, I shouldn't have even been talking, right? <laughs> that's kind of how it reads. And God gives them reasons. He gives them answers on what's happening. It's kind of fascinating. You see the, just the power of God in that passage. But let me point out here just a number of things from our chapter, Luke 22, and from the book of Job, and from another number of other places that the scriptures teach us about Satan and his schemes. Now, to do this, I'm actually going to show you a long quote from a pastor and Bible teacher, uh, John Piper, but I think it's going to be really helpful. So let's read this together. He says, notice that one implication is that Satan has a lot of power in this world. Jesus calls him the prince or ruler of this world. That's in John 16, 11. Paul calls him the God of this age, 2 Corinthians 4, 4. Now, I'm not going to mention all these references, and I know it goes by pretty quick, so if, if you want to take pictures, or even if you go onto our app or our website later, you can see all these verses. There's even a transcript on the website if you want to study this more. All right, he continues, and he says, And the ruler of the authority of the air, he blinds the minds of unbelievers. And holds them in a snare until God releases them through the gospel. He can take life, as with Job's children, ruin health, as with Job's body, torment with demons, provoke evil deeds, and cause natural disasters. The fact that Satan has such power in the world should give a kind of seriousness to our lives, which unbelievers don't have. It ought not to make us paranoid or fearful 
but sober in earnest in our prayers and persistently conscious of needing God's power. But a second implication is that Satan's power is by permission from God. There are not two ultimate powers in the universe. There is only one, God. So what that means is that there is no evil that can happen in your life without God first allowing it. So when you suffer, it's important that you understand that God's not in heaven going like, oh, man, I totally missed, I shouldn't have been looking at my phone, I don't know why I missed that one, I just, I should have been on that, I'm so sorry. There is no evil that can happen in your life that God hasn't first allowed. Satan is not on the same, there's not some dichotomy where you have like good and evil and they're on the same level. The devil can't even move without God's permission. Now, as a thinking person, this sort of begs an interesting question for me, and maybe you have the same question. So why then does God even allow Satan to exist in the first place, right? That's a good question. Now, it's a question that we trust God for, for the answer, but I think there's two sort of, at least, cursory answers we can give to it. Part of it is surely due to God's ultimate plan of glorious victory that he's working throughout the ages. Or an easier way to say that is, it's easier to see God's glory more clearly through the defeat of an adversary. Okay, everyone's really into superhero movies, right, in our day and age, and if you think about like heroes, a hero doesn't look much like a hero if there's no villain to defeat, right? So, okay, what if Spider-Man never had any villains to defeat, and all he did was just like, around New York City, you're like, like, "What what a weirdo, right? You just, there wouldn't be much glory to him. I don't know if I'm doing some. Some Marvel nerd is going to come up to me afterwards and correct me on the like, angle of my wrist or something. Okay. So we, so we see God's goodness in part through the defeat of a villain, right? And then secondly, I believe that God allows Satan to prowl around in part because it is our struggles that actually end up bringing the most strength to our faith. And we teach on this often here. Uh, Romans 5 is a passage we've taught on often, and I think it's a good one to read. Verse 3. Paul says, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. This is so key. American Christians nowadays, all they want is just like victory. Every song is about that and goodness and all the things. We, what does he say? We glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. Or a few weeks ago when we were going through Romans 8, we got through Romans 8.28, right? And we learned that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. And what was that good when we studied it? We said it's that God is conforming us, he's shaping us into the image of his son through even the difficult things. So there's a purpose to what God allows. But in the midst of it, sometimes it can be hard. And so there's some things we got to remember. And one of them is this really powerful word in verse 32. So look at 32 again. It says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. And when... And when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. So Jesus is saying to Peter, Peter, it is going to get rough. In fact, I'm going to allow it to get rough. But when you turn back, not if, when, when you turn back, strengthen your brothers, the other disciples, the other Christians, because I'm going to use you. See, Peter is gonna get used by God in an amazing way precisely because of what he went through. 
So let me explain this. Okay, if you were to this afternoon, uh, let's say you're really uh, disgruntled because the Vikings lost to the Packers or something, right? And you, I just, I gotta go to God. And you, you read the whole book of Luke in one sitting. So if you were to do that, one of the things that would jump off the page to you is that Peter is this guy that he's always like the first one to speak up. Always the first one to jump in. He's the one, when Jesus is walking on the water, he's the one that just jumps out on the water, right? He's sometimes brash, he's impulsive, but he definitely always seems to be courageous. Now, this is fascinating. Peter is going to deny Jesus really in a matter of hours after this meal. Now, if you could somehow time travel to this meal, right, and you, you, you get to the meal maybe a few minutes before this part of the conversation, you show up and you're like, hey, Peter, it's me from the future. Um, here's the deal. I know something. In a matter of hours, you are going to royally mess up. And I want you, in fact, I'll give you 10 guesses to guess how that's going to happen. What do you think, Peter? I don't think he would guess that his courage would fail even in his first 100 guesses. And yet it did. I mean, he doesn't think that at all. Look, what he, look at verse 33. Look what he says back to Jesus even. When Jesus is like, hey, you know, here's the deal. He says, I am ready to go with you to prison and to death. And yet he wasn't ready. Not yet, anyway. And it's precisely because Peter wasn't ready that God allows Satan to sift him as wheat. And thus Peter fails in this area that he thought that he, Peter, could never fail. God wants to break your self-reliance in every area of your life. Because God wants you and he wants Peter to become a believer that fully relies on him in everything. That there's no area of your life where you're going, well, I don't really need to pray about this because I'm, I'm, just, I'm good at this. He wants reliance on him in everything. And it happens, guess what? There's Peter boasting about his courage. Peter never boasts about his courage again if you read the Bible. Instead, he, he, he talks about faith and humility and all the things that we really need. And it's through this trial that Peter becomes this amazing leader, and he is able to go back and strengthen his brothers. But the only reason reason he's able to do that is because he got knocked around the sieve a few times. Remember, sifting, it gets rid of the chaff, right? It gets rid of the part that isn't useful. And so God allows this jostling of Peter's life because it alone, the jostling, is the thing that can get rid of the parts that just aren't all that useful. See, I would tell you that suffering cures us of self-reliance much more efficiently than success does. And so God allows it. And yet in our suffering, we remember that it's when, not if, and we also remember that we're not alone. You know, when I read this, maybe the fifth or sixth time, One of the things that jumped out to me is just how powerful is this thought in the beginning of verse 32? Jesus says, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail. Jesus himself, the son of God, is praying for Peter. Okay, this is the reason that Peter survives this awful moment 
of denying Jesus. So he denies him the third time. There's a part in one of the Gospels where it says the rooster crows, and Jesus looks out at Peter in the courtyard, and it says Peter wept bitterly. How do you survive a moment like this? I'll tell you how he didn't survive it. He didn't survive it simply by going, oh, you know what? Okay, I messed up. I messed up again. But here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I'm going to try really hard. You fool me once. I'll kill you. What doesn't kill you makes you stronger. That is the American gospel. That is not the real gospel. The only reason Peter survives this moment is because the Son of God is praying for him. And he shifts his reliance not to himself, which has failed him, but to God. And did you know that Jesus Christ is praying for you? It's right here in this passage. He's praying that your faith may not fail. This is a theological truth from the Bible. Pastor Josh, a couple weeks ago in Romans 8, he covered the exact same thing. I'll read it to you again. It's just half a verse. Verse 34. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding. Interceding means like praying on our behalf for us. Jesus is interceding for you, the Bible teaches. So I want you to put this together. I want you to hear the word of God, because these are the words of God to you in your mind and your heart this morning. Nothing is happening in your life that God hasn't allowed. God is going to use this to strengthen those around you. And in your suffering... Jesus is praying for you. Man, I want you to even visualize that right now because some of you, Satan is jostling hard and you're thinking about just kind of even dividing, letting go of your faith. Picture it in your mind. Do you see him? Do you see the Son of God at the right hand of the Father? Do you see him looking to the Father and saying your name? Father, I pray. I pray for Bob for Erica, for Jenny, for Justin. I pray, God, that their faith, I pray for David that his faith in the suffering would not fail. That is the Son of God and that is his heart. That is his heart for you. Satan may ask to sift you as wheat, but the power and purpose of Jesus Christ will prevail. And you may be here today and you may not even really know Jesus like that. I'm talking about how he loves you that much and he's praying for you. You're like, that's not the Jesus that I even think of. One of the things that I want you to know about God, this is how the Bible teaches it, and I think most Americans don't think of it this way anymore. But God will actually allow you to go through pain if it's that pain that will lead you to him. So if you were to uh, flip back in the Bible a few pages and you went to Luke chapter 15, one of the things that you would notice is Jesus tells a story. And he tells a story about this son who asks his father for his inheritance early and he goes off to a faraway land and he just squanders all of the money on wild living and bad choices. Well, eventually his life is just messed up from all of his bad choices. He can't even find a job. Finally, he finds a job feeding the pigs. And he's so broke, and his life is such a mess, it says that he desires even to eat the food that the pigs are eating. And it's in that moment that he says to himself, maybe I should go back to my father. But that's a hard choice, because if he goes back, I mean, he took basically all, most of his dad's money that was supposed to be used for <laughs> this glorious inheritance. He 
squandered it on wild living. What is his dad even going to say to him? Right? This is a risk. But we're told that he goes back. And when he goes back, he sees his father a long way off. What's he going to do? Is he going to scream? Is he going to shout? Is he going to shake his head? You know what it says? The Bible says the father ran to the son. I love that imagery. He runs to the son, open arms, and embraces him and brings him in. And Jesus teaches that is God's heart for you if you would come to him. And it may be that God has allowed you to get to this difficult moment in your life so that you would say, maybe I should go to the Father. This is your opportunity to look up and see God. For some of you, it's your opportunity to come back to him. You tried the world. You tried it by yourself. It's not working. For some of you, you've just never come to God like this in the first place. And if you've never done that, it's quite simple. It's not hard. The Bible tells us Jesus died on the cross, and in dying on the cross, he was dying for our sins, for all of our bad choices. And it's our faith in that that actually forgives us and makes us saved. So we go to heaven, so we have a relationship with him, so we're actually forgiven. It's really simple. Acts 16.31 in the Bible says it this way. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So you look at that son in the story. He didn't have to say, okay, I made, a, oh, I made like oh, 246 bad choices, so I'm gonna have to make 247 good choices before I go home, and now my father will love me again. He just comes home, and the father loves him, and he sees his faith that he will be forgiven. And he loves him, and he forgives him. When he gets there, the son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and I have sinned against you. But the father just says, this son of mine was dead. I thought he was gone, but he's alive again. He was lost, and now he's found because of his faith to come home. And you can make that same decision. If you've never made that decision, to say, God, I, I believe that you died for me. You sent your son to die for me. I want you to forgive me. I'm coming. I'm coming to you. He will. That's how much he loves you. It's pretty amazing. Have you ever made that decision before? What I want to do is we're just going to sing a final song of worship. And I, I want to give you an opportunity to just think about that. Do I need to come home? Do I need to step out and come? And if you do, I pray that God puts that on your heart. And for the rest of you that are all following Christ, I pray that we take this time to sing this last song. That you don't just sing, you don't just read lyrics and sing some notes. That you let these words hit your heart. And you think through the trials that you've been through and you think, God, God has a plan, God has a purpose. And in it, he loves me and he's going to use me. All right? All right, let me pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word. That sometimes we read it and go, what is, what is this? And yet when we read it again, God, there's just such truth in it. Lord, I pray for this room right now, if there was anyone here that needs to just be forgiven, to take a step of faith, to believe that you died for them, that you would put that on their heart, and they would just know they need to do that. God, I pray for the rest of us that we, we would just trust you, that we would see Satan's schemes for what they are, just schemes, and that we would trust more deeply in your plan and in your goodness. It's in your amazing name we pray. Amen.